Hello, I'm Penelope Maver, and welcome to Earth Converse podcast, an exploration into our relationships and conversations with the earth, all in the hope of inspiring a deeper connection with ourselves, each other, and the earth that is our home. Again, to mix things up a little, in this episode, I'm going to draw from my Earth Converse leadership blog. If you haven't already checked it out on the Earth Converse website, please do so. There you'll find short, snappy musings to stimulate inner and outer conversations in line with the whole system, nature-based mindfulness approach of our work at Earth Converse. Now, given that there's been so much reference to it, I'm going to talk about going solo in nature. In episode one, I left you with the invitation to undertake a conscious practice of being in nature, even in lockdown, to be with nature for one or two hours, And if you've tuned into the episodes, you will know that a number of guests have talked about the longer vision fast process or being out in nature generally, like Kushian did talking about solo hiking. Some of you may recall Emerald's advice about how we can deepen our connection with nature. Here she is here. Every time you possibly can take a walk alone on the land, Mm. even in a park, as a line in a room, he says, you know, don't say anything. Just go outside, take a long walk, and just look. If you're looking at the land as if it's alive and conscious, you just don't know what it might say to you. For sure, the most important thing if we want to connect with nature is to go out in it, alone or in company. And that may be just for sheer pleasure, relaxation, exercise, sport, adventure, work, or walking the dog, whatever. But even sure, in my view, there is a deeper connection that happens if we are alone at one with Mother Nature. We can, as invited on episode two, go out with an intention to take a question to the land. Or we can just go out and be in nature, with nature, as present and mindfully as we can. We can feel what Ray said on episode 14, as being alone as all one. We will elaborate on the whole idea here, drawing from an article I wrote, Solo Time in Nature. It was also an article I gifted to Impact International, a company I collaborate with and which I will mention later on here. But first, a pause for reflection. What is your experience of being solo in nature? Poet Reina Maria Ruke wrote... Your solitude will be a support and a home for you, even in the midst of very unfamiliar circumstances. And from it, you will find all your paths. Yet many of us don't do it. We even avoid being on our own and busy our time with activities and perhaps a little drama. As poet David White recognises, the first step in spending time alone is to admit how afraid of it we are. We are social creatures, as survival depends on connection with fellow human beings. So it's no wonder we fear being alone. And as beautifully observed by French philosopher Pascal, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. He pointed out how we fear the silence of existence, how we dread boredom and instead choose aimless distraction, And we can't help but run from the problems of our emotions into the false comforts of our mind. If it's scary enough to be alone in a room, it can even be scarier to be alone in the wilds of nature, 
particularly with an increasingly urbanised, technologically focused world with a socioeconomic system that further disconnects us from nature. And I would say a certain amount of fear of being solar in nature is actually a healthy approach. Mother nature, and particularly wilder, remote nature, is to be respected for the fear it can evoke. As beautiful and life-nurturing it is, as dangerous and life-destroying it is. As a collective, us humans on the earth now are more disconnected from wider nature than ever has been in our history. And at an individual level, depending on your culture, background, disposition and life experiences, you will perceive and behave in nature differently. As vision guide Scott Daly and I spoke on episode 17, the wider natural world can be a particular source of trauma for many and therefore feel a very hostile place. I'm grateful for Intersectional Environmental Lead, Leah Thomas, and a recent post by Highcliffe founded by Evelyn Escobar-Thomas and Carly Jewell in this respect for their work on racism of our outdoors. Carly wrote about the systemic racism in the US and the relationship between black people and the outdoors. And of course, this has a wider applicability throughout the whole world. The outdoors is seen as a refuge, an idyllic playground, but that has only ever rung true when centering a white privileged experience. For people of colour, it has legacy of violence, racism and discrimination. And this includes, but it is not limited to, erasing the presence of indigenous people in violent, unimaginable ways. And settlers establishing themselves as first people, or describing it as empty land. It includes commercialising indigenous cultures for the entertainment of white visitors, and not acknowledging that black labour was used to construct public lands. And those lands had segregated areas, and a legacy that continues to be felt. I do have an inkling of understanding from my own country, New Zealand, how this has shown up in our history, how much land has been stolen from Māori, and how much pain has resulted from the disconnection with nature. And we need more people to join advocates and activists who are increasingly raising awareness and educating us about inequality and confronting white privilege to ensure that public lands are welcome to all. In support of their work, here's an excerpt from a short film, This Land, featuring athlete, filmmaker and advocate Faith E. Briggs. And you want to check out, I'll put a link in the episode details. In a way, I guess this is what the whole journey has been about, is showing that you are welcome here. I know that a lot of times we haven't seen people that look like us in certain spaces, and so I'm hoping to be one of those people. And I want all my friends to be those people too. And I want everyone to see someone that looks like them outside doing something they love and be inspired to do the same thing. You are welcome here. You, as you, looking like you, talking like you, laughing like you, moving the way that you move, are welcome here, and this place is for you. That's that's the hope. From my own personal experience as a woman, I know how scared I've been myself in the mountains or forest or desert, how many times I feel threatened. And it's usually not animals or exposure to the elements or the danger of getting lost, but the fear of coming across people who may harm me. And I balance that with the actual reality. I've never been harmed, thank goodness. And I guess I am more at risk in the city than ever I am in nature. And 
So yes, there are perceived and real risks. My friend Lisa has a heightened sense of danger of being in nature by growing up how she did in Australia, which is known for its more dangerous collection of animals, as opposed to me growing up in New Zealand, where, for example, our national icon is one who had no threats, so it gave up its ability to fly, (laughs) the gorgeous kiwi bird. And Lisa is also a solo mum of twins. Her going out solo is not only logistically more complicated, but also has more at stake than it does for me. So everyone's starting point on the topic of going out solo in nature is different. And your starting point is your starting point. The wider nature itself does not discriminate, is not racist. It has no filters, it is pure, it is as source, it is part of us all. And to quote Ray again, who also pointed out that a reason we go out to nature is to explore our shadow, although we may not really be conscious that that is our motive. Going out solo is a way to see ourselves, to heal, connect, regenerate, integrate, and therefore worth doing. At Earth Converse, we encourage leaders and everyone to see themselves as part of nature, For nature does invite us to be visionary, transformational and regenerative. And as a theme that we return to in the podcast, that reconnection with nature starts with ourselves. Even if systemically it is challenging, know thyself as Socrates proclaimed. And also in the words of motivational speaker Susan Jeffers, feel the fear and do it anyway. So how do we be solo And how do we go out solo in nature? So we know what our starting point is, and we take the first step. For some, it may start with Pascal's point, just being alone in a room, not even necessarily outside. You may, as offered in episode two, or in episode five when I brought in the voice of Tara Brach, or what Gemma offered in episode six, where we can draw on the ancient wisdom and practice of just pausing and sitting with the feelings that arise in that alone moment. And then practicing spending more time alone. You practice observing yourself and what that time alone evokes in you and means for you. And then bit by bit, it's about venturing outside. A safety first, message first. In whatever scenario, most importantly, tell people where you're going and when you expect it back. Take whatever helps you to feel safe and prepared. Extra clothing, first aid kit, water, phone, food, but nothing that will distract you, including the dog. (laughs) Depending on your starting point, venturing out to the wider world, you know, it may start with just a nearby tree, even a patch of grass. It may be walking in a local park. And as your confidence grows, then increasingly venturing out to a wilder area, a more remote area perhaps. My friend Tracy ventured out for a couple of days and nights recently here in Mallorca. I was really touched that afterwards she wrote me a beautiful letter, and with her permission I will read part of it out. I want to thank you for inspiring me to take time out in nature, in solitude. I may not be ready for a complete vision quest, but you have planted a seed. My experience was at times scary, but also exhilarating, and the freedom and liberation I felt was totally relaxing. I returned feeling much more positive and energized for whatever that remained of this crazy time has in store for us. 
I was really touched by that. And, you know, we don't have to do days and nights out or a vision quest of three or four days or hike the length of the country solo. We can just start with an hour alone in nature. As Stephen Foster and Meredith Little, founders of School of Lost Borders, drawing on the hermetic axiom, within everything is the seed of everything, wrote, to know that a single hour spent in nature contains the gem of a life story. Beautiful, yes? One thing we do at Earth Converse to help people go out solo in nature is to paradoxically do it with a group. We call it Solo Together, where we invite individuals to be part of a facilitated process. We meet all together to set the scene and intentions, hike up to a spot, and then we go out on our own for, say, two hours without phones, watches and distractions, a pen and journal at most, and then we reconvene to share and hear back the stories. Since COVID-19, we've also run them virtually. People appreciate the guidance and feel safe in the knowledge others are far but close. They get a sense of belonging and connection. You may even want to do this with a group of friends. Go for a walk in nature and at some point agree to go off solo and then reconvene and share your experiences. Mirror it back to each other. People always return with gifts from such an experience, whether that is about being feeling more peaceful, rested or inspired. My first experience of doing this with leaders was in partnership with Impact International, who I mentioned earlier. They are world leaders in providing experiential leadership programs. And this was a particular seven-month program with senior executives across Europe and involved three days in the Lakes District. Dedicated solo time was one of the most appreciated and transformative aspects of that program. We tended to keep it as a surprise. When we disclosed to the participants that they will be spending two hours alone on a hillside, it was met with trepidation, sometimes intrigue or resistance. On the odd occasion, there was a plea of, can we have more time? (laughs) For this particular executive program, the participants were asked to reflect on their leadership in solitude, in nature, without distractions or watches or phones. It was a simple action, or rather non-action, which proved to be a turning point for many. Most of them had never been alone, and definitely not dedicated time alone in nature in this way. And it was a privilege to hear the stories from the experience. I remember one senior executive realised he felt guilty for taking time out for himself. He came away with the insight that if I don't care for myself, I can't care for others. The experience completely changed his philosophies and leadership practice. Another senior manager came up with his own motto and a commitment, which he named 888. (laughs) You know, that meant no work before 8am, no work after 8pm, and aim for eight hours sleep. One leader described how her mission just came to me while I was sitting there. One tenderly reported back it was the first time he had sat and grieved for his father, who had recently passed away. Until then, he had kept himself busy. Others simply and profoundly realised how important it, it was to have time to think. The solitude is a felt experience that always stays with the participants long after they have left their tent on the hillside, long after they have returned back to the office. In the experience, they remind themselves that stillness, solitude, 
silence is accessible at any time and creativity will emerge if they are prepared to make space for it. In a largely extroverted world, we see creativity, whether that be new ideas for the business, innovation in the organisation, new perspectives on our personal or professional lives, as needing to happen as a result of sparks and connections with others. But even the most creative, wisest person will tell you that solitude in nature is crucial for recharging, reflection and restoration. Digging deeper, we know that change must come from within. And we know it like all sages of the ages have. We need the support of our own solitude to be able to listen to that inner wisdom. And nature with its purity and non-filter helps us to do that. It does seem that through parental and societal programming, we have conditioned ourselves to prioritise answers, advice and direction from others, which is to the detriment of our own growth and path. I love what James Hollis wrote, to recover our own personal authority is a daily task imposed upon all of us by the soul. Go out to nature solo and see how that helps with this task. Go in and experiment and let us know what happens. If you think of somebody that will benefit, share this podcast with them. But we'll pause here and see you back for the next Earth Converse podcast. In the meantime, go out to nature and enjoy Earth one conversation at a time.